Yes, actually, I would like to just um, give a few moments to just ask you and myself, what is the intention with this uh, meeting? What was it? What is it that we actually want to bring out or gift or what, what, why are we doing this? Why are you doing this? For me, I've kind of just rediscovered embodiment. Mm. And I have been, I'm noticing that I've been suppressing my, my instinct, my intuition for a really long time in favor of the brain, the mind, or, or what I perceive to be the mind, the, the small part of the mind that I was able to perceive as the mind. Um, and so I think the topic in general is something that's very much alive in me right now. And I also have this very sort of deep curiosity about you from our first conversation. So I'm very curious to to find out more. And if to the extent that words can help or spark curiosity, that's what I'm hoping to do with the podcast. That it'll be like it'll be a conversation and it'll be a glimpse that somebody could that can maybe hook someone else. So those would be my um hopes and dreams around this conversation. <laughs> what about for you? Oh, thank you. Thank you for your sharing. My first thing is, is to serve. Uh, serve the, the meeting between us and to explore together. And in that exploration, also bringing inspiration for ourselves, but also for our listeners. Um, so I'm also coming here with an open mind and no agenda and trust that um, the, the environment and the field will guide us and absolutely the embodiment of us will guide us to, yeah, to more clarity and more curiosity about what this embodiment can be and how we can deepen that even more but serve uh, serve serve um, the intelligence of um, the body mind with a little bit more emphasis on the body today yeah thank you okay so hmm. with that I should do my little uh, sort of intro intro thing that's fun um so welcome to the world of wisdom podcast um i am today uh sitting with uh, rosario uh, and help me with your last name rojas, rojas. rosario rojas. rojas rojas yes i figured rosario rojas um and this is another part of the uh, special little series that I've been doing on stories in general. And today we might also circle a little bit around uh, money and wealth in preparation for this uh, micro, World of Wisdom micro gathering that we will be hosting in September, where Rosario is, luckily for us, has agreed to become, to be one of the facilitators. So it's very, very exciting to have you here, Rosario Rojas. What I would like to invite you to do, because I'm not even going to try to introduce you in my words, but rather I would let uh, you do that in, with the frame of just a very, very open question. Um, who are you, Rosario? <laughs> uh, thank you for inviting me and thank you for this beautiful meeting. Uh, that's a very good question. Who am I? So, 
Yes. That's the question that I actually are asking myself every day. <laughs> but to be more specific, normally, um, today I work with Mindful Incorporation uh, and uh, to serve them and to support them in to create an environment where people can thrive. Uh, and also create what I call high-performance team. And it's more about also having um, the trust and safety to be open, to be creative, and to have a lot of fun. And it could also be fun to, at times, meet some challenging things within yourself or within the group. And I have these beautiful tools, you can say, that mindfulness are gifting our society now and tools that are easy to learn, not always so easy to apply, but very easy to, to learn. And in that, I have um, this love for the body and one of the key things in the method of mindfulness is body scan and also movements. And all of those has the body as its core. You can add other things on that, and we're going to talk about that later. And I also have a degree as a physiotherapist, and also I'm a specialist in psychodynamic physiotherapy where you involve the whole system not just the body also the emotions thoughts and very important your environment what kind of environment are you in as well in your home as well as in your working place so, and I also started my career as a, as a dancer, as a professional dancer. So I think my love for uh, the body as this beautiful vehicle and tool and the intelligence of the body started somewhere there. So yeah, that, that's a short introduction. I'm also a mother. I'm also a human being. Um, and I'm very, very curious. Thank you. Thank you. That's a wonderful introduction. Yeah, so the topic of today is going to be circling around the body. And for me, um, I've really had a journey into it um, lately, into my body, into her, I think. Um, and it's it's been quite profound and and in little nooks and corners that i've I'm rediscovering that I'd forgotten that I had, I'm finding all this sort of joy and flow and power and it's really crazy um the things that I seem to have forgotten uh over the years and so one of the curiosities that I have and maybe it might be a good place to start is kind of where where do you see the body today in our society, uh, in the work that you do? Where, where is the body? What's the standing of the body, so to say? I don't know if you understand my question, but... Well, I answer as I understand it when you ask that question. And the first pictures that comes to me is that there are very much heads walking around in our society. So very little the rest of the body but a lot of heads. Um, I don't know the term in English, but in Swedish is huvudfoting. It's when, when you're a child, you look at your development and around three, four, I think it is, you should have painted this picture with a head and a body. And that body is very, very thin. It's just one line. If you're lucky to have some legs, on arms as well, but it's a big head. <laughs> and I think our society actually has stopped <laughs> much of our development. So it's very much 
very full and very much attention of the head and thoughts and intelligence, intellectual intelligence. And we have lost a little bit um, the deeper and the more fully um, possibility with embodiment. That resonates strongly with um, my experience as well. And why do you think that is? I think we, I don't know when, but we have, and it's, it was good, it's part of the development, I think, that we have put so much trust and um, foundation in the, in the intellectual intelligence. And all, it's a little bit changing now, but much of the times in school is all about the head. And not so much about how the body actually learns. And uh, the body learns more by doing and by also allowing you to make mistakes. That's the best way to, that the brain actually learns. And some of them, not all the science are agreed about this, but some of science says that the first Assignment, you can say that the brain had, was to coordinate movements. So that intelligence lies really, really back, back in the old brain. And if we can use that when we learn more other things, when that part of the brain are awake, uh, it actually awakes more of the whole brain. So you get the whole brain. Uh, learning and whole brain integration. And I think that that is actually an easier way to, to learn. So I think uh, maybe that's going to change now when science are seeing this more and more, and especially our neuroscience uh, have found that maybe we haven't used the whole capacity about how we can learn and how we can de develop our body and brains in how the education systems has been working there the last years. So interesting how, because I listened to a couple of um, thinkers um, and scientists that are, that also have an indigenous background and they, there were some, some recent research on memory and memorization techniques. And so where they were comparing um, something that would, remind you of like, uh, you know, walking a song line or like this, this sort of type of physical memory techniques that, that are very much present in, in some of the indigenous cultures, um, which, is, which has to do with movement and which has to do with place and which has to do with body. Um, and they were also comparing it to this, uh, the memory palace. I don't know if you're familiar with, but, but they, the, all of the memory masters now, the people that are remembering, you know, thousands of numbers of pi, they, they have, you know, a, a a route that they built and then they walk through this place and they retrieve the numbers. Um, uh, and, and they were seeing that when you connect it to place memory and when you connect it to, yeah, place and body, then, then there's a much greater potential for memory and for learning and learning in sequence and uh, a number of things. So it's, it's funny what we need to forget to rediscover in a sense and how that loops around. There's no question in there. It's just a reflection. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's really funny that we had to rediscover what we already actually know and what we already has like a natural way of being. Uh, so it's not so natural for children to sit um, so at, at such an early age to sit in front of a desk and just listening to a teacher or some somebody that knows the right answer instead of being out there and actually explore what the answer could be and maybe they are just not just one right answer maybe there are many more perspectives to consider if you are an explorer that's also interesting this reduction to finding the right answer and even in what you were saying already, it's like some of the scientists don't agree that, uh, you know, this is the, the way that it is. 
it has an implication for the scientific method. I mean, it seems like we've forgotten, we've made science into a thing rather than an unfolding or a, or a process of discovery, which is, at least that's how I understand it, um, fundamentally. I think we need to be a little bit humble knowing that what we say that we know today will be rewritten in the future as we have been rewritten the past. So I think that to really have that, uh, that perspective that we do our best, but we, the more we know, the more we also understand that how little we know. <laughs> Something else that came, just dropped into my head um, when we were, when you were, um, answering the question of sort of embodiment and, and where the body sits in society. I was wondering if, just playing with the thought of, of if we see the human society as an organism as well, that is also developing. Um, I wonder if it has to do with the fact that we are, our, our age, our collective age, uh, if you will, is at the age where we are drawing still these uh, head head foot people, the hybrid footinger. <laughs> Maybe that's an indication for something, but I don't know. Um, yes. And I also think we have misunderstood a little bit of religion. Mm. So, so then, uh, then the body has been something bad and something sometimes even filthy. So I think we also have to reclaim that, that that was a totally misunderstanding uh, about this intelligence and the beauty of bodies. And that this is a beautiful tool that we can use in this existence. And it's a beautiful tool for creation and also creation to well-being. So it, it's, uh, it's that beautiful movement from an idea and a longing or a passion for something out to the hands that actually can manifest and you have it in the world manifest it comes from the word mano that means hands so it, that's how you actually make things come to fruition in this reality and it's the body that has the last step in, in the creation, the manifestation. And even if you don't work with hands yourself, somebody has to put their hands in the idea to actually create it. So the body is very important in that sense to, to come to that last step. So it doesn't just stay as an idea or a vision. You also have the strength and the courage, and that's you also have to go through the heart, the core, the curve, to, to, to actually create and dare to create your dream, your vision. Where it's, it's so, so basic in a way, but there's also this, um, I mean, what you were pointing towards now, the way that I hear it is that the body is essential in some way. And yet the story that I've been fed is that it's um, primitive, you know, it's to be suppressed or dominated in, you know, we push through with our minds. We follow the ideas and um, all the research about sort of grit and motivation and you push through no matter what and where does that yeah how did that how did it come to be and just <laughs> yeah I, I don't know how I just know what has happened to the society right now and I think we have a beautiful beautiful challenge right now to elevate ourselves from the body as the animal level and the biologic, biological level. And for that, we need to heighten our awareness and heighten our uh, level of consciousness so we can 
not suppress, but elevate us from the lower realms of the body because they exist, but they are there for a purpose and an intelligence. And you have to first harness that purpose and intelligence. Or if it's not a purpose, it might be a need. And when that is fed and harnessed, then you go to the next level. But if you bypass that, then you can't use the foundation that this beautiful body really is and heighten it to something else. So yes, we we have bodies, but maybe we ain't our bodies. So we have them, we borrow them for a couple of years, (laughs) being (laughs) in this uh, realm of existence. Ah, that's funny. I heard you thinking, I was thinking of that uh, whole idea that we are, uh, you know, we're not human beings, we're human becomings, or that that there's this movement implied in, in how we can unfold as humans and that we maybe maybe we are also our bodies, so we all we are these biological beings for for a time, if you will. And and how like on the societal level, is it possible to bring back the body in? Like, is there a a way to do that? Um, introducing the body to people that are kind of, I mean, if you are, you know, how, how do we how do we wake it wake it up? How do we remember it's it? It's here. It's here. You can't do anything about it. It's here. The question is, are you aware of it? Do you use its potential? Because it's gonna, the body's going to speak. It's going to speak about your suppression. It's going to speak about the non-alignment in it. It's going to speak of its joy. It's going to speak of its, its abundance. So it's, it's speaking. And it's communicating all the time. So the question is more, do you use and consciously take part of that creation or not? And so that also kind of implies why mindfulness is so important in in the work of getting to know our bodies or, or, you know, connecting with our bodies, I guess. The body has this beautiful, beautiful key um, that are so connected with what we call mindfulness. And it's that the body is always, always here and now. So it's a door into the present moment. So even if you think about yesterday or the past, and you should actually do that, there's this misconception that if you are mindful you should never go back or forward in time that's not correct it's just that you move the mind consciously so when i move my mind consciously back in time the body is experiencing it as it's happening right now and the same thing if i move my mind into the tomorrow or into the future the body experience it as it's happening right now. So the body doesn't have any sense of linear time. And sometimes the body can be a little bit misinterpreted. So I used to say that the energy and what you feel is always, always 100% correct. To interpretation of it might not be correct always. So it's a really beautiful art, actually, to master that discernment, to differentiate. Is the body talking about here and now in this present moment? Or is the body now re-remembering something from the past or thought about the future? And oh, I love that pause. Yeah. <laughs> Could you? F- 
that was a beautiful pause to integrate whatever you perceived into your body and my body follow. There is something about the slowness um, for me, which allows me to kind of do that integration, letting things land and settle. So can, can you just say something about what happened or what could you actually perceive in that pause? It's as if the words had time to pass through my brain <laughs> and, and find a deeper resonance. And, yeah. so, and that resonance is somewhere in the heart-stomach region for me. Um, beautiful. So that's, it's a beautiful example of what embodiment could be. And if we can listen, for example, not just with our ears, what if every little cell in the body had ears? <laughs> so it's a full body experience to listen to another person or maybe even listen to this podcast. Yeah, and I've also discovered the perspective, um, which has been a way into it for me, that whatever my brain is working on or thinking or whatever it's, you know, whatever it's doing, um, it's always working off of signals from the body because it's this poor little thing is suspended in my skull, you know, and it has no senses of its own. So it has to borrow. Um, and not that it's separate. I don't really believe in that separateness, but for me, it's a useful thought figure, at least, to remember that um, the sensing and the, the, the physical reaction is, is also there. And it's at least as real and maybe as you are pointing towards, maybe even more so, uh, even more real. Uh, you can pick up a lot of information through that listening or that that sensitivity to what you actually perceive. So you get richer about the information you gather from the outside, but it also goes the other way. You get richer and more clear about your message. Or sometimes maybe more, more confused because your message is not aligned. It's not... Um, yeah, maybe you're a contradiction, contradicting yourself, what you are saying with your words and mind and what your body language actually are sending. I also wanted to, something that popped up earlier that I wanted to kind of reconnect to, but just for my own curiosity, it's what, it's like the, um, I'm thinking two things. I'm thinking both this, um, reliving of like when, when the body responds to something that isn't there at the moment a threat maybe I'm just wondering if that I mean it's just as like you said I, I thought it was beautifully put I just wanted to underline that it's just as real for me for my organism as if it had been there um, you know and the, I guess the example of the tiger is you know, it's not so relevant to us anymore but that fear response is just as real and the response and therefore our mind kinds of our minds perhaps they have to they have to respond to that of course they have to do something um, in relation to that response I'm just wondering because it arcs into me into this what some people call that we have a mental health epidemic um, or the this um, that we are so stressed and so burnt out and so um, worn down uh, in many cases. Is it that simple that we've forgotten to listen to our bodies? Or <laughs> I'm sure there's more to it, but nonetheless. Yeah, but it's part of it. It's part of it. Uh, I have met a lot of people that you could say have been burned out or run into that wall. And none of them, none of them have not had their body 
talking to them, screaming at them loudly. But they haven't paid attention because they thought other things was more important. And then there is an intelligence that actually sits in the body that if you don't listen, if you don't act on what the body are telling you, you are actually trying to kill yourself. So the intelligence in the body is to make sure that you survive. So that's why the body pulled the rug under your feet. And one day you can't do what you thought you could do. It's like an alarm system that the body has, because if you push yourself further, you will damage some or many of your organs. And that is not reparable. If you lost your temper, if you lost some of your memory, if you have pain in the body, for that intelligence, they, they know that we can repair that later. So it might take time, but we can, it's repairable. But the organs, no. So they have to protect you from damage yourself. So it's a beautiful intelligence. And it's because the body works that we got burned out, that we run into the wall. It's our not listening and that we don't understand the message that unfortunately makes us go so far instead of take a pause before we get so, so sick actually. But it's not life-threatened. When it becomes life-threatened, the body kicks in. So I want to say to all of you that listening here that it's not that you are damaged or there's something wrong with you if you have gone through this. It's actually a beautiful way that your body actually works. And it wants to protect you. Not in the way that you want, but in the way that actually works. That's beautiful. <laughs> um, and kind of, at least in my mind, it brings me naturally to think about the um, topic that we have chosen for these uh, work sessions on, on money and wealth that you so graciously also suggested that we would introduce as the concept of uh, into the title. So it's not just money, um, which can be, I don't know, for me, it, it holds more tension. Um, and I don't know how that is resonating, but um, is, is that because we're, if, if we are in this moment and we just take it as you are putting it, that we are not listening to our bodies for, for whatever reason. But it seems to me, at least in the group of people that I know, that reason very often is relating to this chasing after money and chasing after wealth. And also from my own journey, I know that I have that idea that I'm, I'm just going to do this thing that is hard and that is, you know, extractive from my body. And, and then I'm going to, then I will rest. Then I will give back to the world. Then I will, whatever it might be. I can see that also in our collective culture. But how does money and wealth in your experience sit in relation to the body and what we were just talking about? You, you describe it so beautifully. If you connect what you just said, what we talked about before, that the body is always here and now. So if you think about wealth tomorrow, then wealth will show up tomorrow. And tomorrow never comes. Tomorrow is just a thought. We can experience tomorrow in the present moment. So when we start to listen 
to ourselves and to the body, because that is the topic today. Uh, as you all understand, it, it's, it's broader than this, but it's a beautiful way to actually start with the body. It's also to start with wealth or well-being in the body. So how about have the feeling of whatever wealth are for you? To be able to harness that feeling, that sense, right now, as, it's, as it uh, already is there. Because if you're thinking about it tomorrow, then there is a little bit of lack in your system. And to be in lack is a very stressful state. And in that stressful state, you can't really be able to, to access abundance and creativity because that, that doesn't happen in a state of stress. That happens in a state of trust and safety. So you, you have to be aware of what, what state I'm actually creating my dreams in or my vision in. Is it a state of lack? Then the body is so beautiful, it doesn't judge. So if it's lack that you want to harness, if lack is the thing you want to give energy, then the body says, okay, we will create lack for you if that is what you want, because it just wants to do what you want. And many of us do that unconsciously. We think about with that we want to have wealth and well-being, but we, we, we feed ourselves and the nervous system and our bodies with lack and stress. So that is the command we give our, our systems to, to actually create from. So it, it creates it. And then we don't understand why we, why this was not what I thought I created. No, maybe not what you thought, but what you fed your system with. So to me, I've had a hard time relating to words of like lack and abundance. And so in my head, I keep replacing them with like um, adversity or a goal, even, you know, <laughs> setting a goal is also that. Um, yeah, I just wanted to bring that in because those are words that I have had an easier time to relate to. It's just now that I can kind of, without any nervous system response, uh, talk about the word abundance and not feel provoked by it. So it's been a very strong, like conflicting thing in me. So I just wanted to bring that in. Yes. So I would like to, to actually, when you say that, bring out a definition about abundance that I learned when I was in the Amazons uh, with the indigenous people there, because I found that I had a totally wrong uh, view of what abandoned actually looks like before I met them. So abundance for them is that there are so plenty of something that you can take as much as you need and there is still something left. But if you take more than you need, then you are sick and you actually need support and help. I thought that was so beautiful. How do you see that in a Western context? civilized quote in in quotation marks civilized context yeah I, I think we have been yeah we, we we haven't seen that in that way so we, we take as much as we can as we quickly as we can and uh, leave the leave for someone else to to get the consequences of our ripping off um, not just the planet, but that's part of it, but also each other and sometimes yourself. 
So it's it's and it's part of that sense of lack. If you have that stress and lack, you you will the nervous system will do that. But if it's not taken care of in the in for the right reason, you will never be content because this lack is there all the time. Then it doesn't matter how much wealth you actually have. You will still run on that stress level of lack. And you will chase for something else and something else and something else. So I think think that could be part of that sickness uh, that this distorted view of abundance has um, created in many levels in society. It's changing, but it's still there a lot in the Western culture. Yeah. So... And in that definition, I mean, there's the, it fits also with the, the, the idea of a, a perfect sunrise being, you know, abundance when you have just everything you need, you are, you know, well fed or you, you might not, you might even be fasting and you're still, you know, you still have everything that you need. Um, there's something is pulling me back to, I don't, but still, I'm so curious about just in my own journey, I'm trying to piece out. And one of the things that I've been doing is to look at the utility of patterns to try to understand and find compassion for them. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just imagining myself as like, uh, let's say that one of the, first human settlers or something like that. And, you know, you started farming the land or um, discovering the technology of, you know, agriculture, if you will. <laughs> but, but um, and, and you needed to, but I don't know if, if that was ever, because I, I cannot understand that move between this indigenous way of being, the, the way of being like where we speak, spoke with the land and lived with the land and we took, but we also, I don't know, do you have any, have you, do you have a view of what started the sickness sort of when we started um, courting, if you will, <laughs> for lack of a better word? Mm, yeah. That's a very big question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but uh, I think that some of that division is also a part that we haven't been talking so much about yet, and it's the existential part of being human. And uh, in this urge to understand and and to to understand uh, life and uh, society, the body, the science made us a little bit to, to this mechanism and forgot about the, the mystery of life, the, the, the sacredness of life. And I think it's, and I think it's part of, so we needed to do that for our develop, development. So it's not, it's not a bad thing that happened. I think it's part of the, our journey, but now is also to go back and rediscover the, the wholeness uh, and that we we are each other's environments. So yes, we we are at for sure individuals, but we share uh, a field together, and I think that field is something that we have a little bit uh, lost to be in touch with that in our society. Also because we have maybe also moved from nature into the town and and things like that. We we don't have uh, that closeness to nature. We don't know how things grow. We we don't really know animals uh, and so forth. 
So I think in that beautiful thing that technology has given us, and uh, now, now it's time to, to, to integrate it a little bit more. And with the new science, for example, the quantum physics, we understand more of that as well. So they are coming together now that um, the Newton's way of thinking exists in one level, but there are other ways where that, has, that view of the world doesn't, um, how do you say, you, you can't count in that way any longer. There are other forces in play that we didn't know about before. So I think this is all part of our development. And um, would you say something more about that field or that idea that we are each other's environment? So, so how connected I am or not, you will feel that consciously or unconsciously, you will feel that. And I think a lot of us find it so uncomfortable to actually notice. It's a little bit uncomfortable to get so much information. <laughs> so then we rather cut that off in that sense that we, many of us, think that if I notice something, if I see something, I have to do something about it. So that responsibility becomes so like almost like a burden. So it, then it's better to not see, to not know, to not sense. But unconsciously, you are picking it all up. So in that sense, I'm going to bring my environment to our environment if we are co-workers or if we have some kind of relationship. So that's going to be part of our field. And people that comes to other, our field will add to that field with their existence. So it's, it's actually a loving response to take care of my system so I don't bring too much garbage into our <laughs> common space and vice versa. So that's part of what I do in the corporate mindfulness. To, to evoke that awareness that we are each other's environments. You also said something that when we see something, we think that we have to do something. But just for fun, um, shouldn't we do something if we see something? Yes. That's... Yes. But you don't have to. Only if it really calls you. And what I've discovered as well is that um, I've recently started coaching um, and taking a coaching training. And one of the things that I found there was that the, the do something, that something, um, there are a lot of somethings that are possible. And some of the somethings that are very minuscule <laughs> um, are the ones that that seem to mean the most to the other person. Um, or, or yeah. And you can also in that use the, the embodiment when you have this urge to do something. Where does the doing come from? Does it come from stress? Does it come from some sort of uh, distress and uncomfortability? Or does it come from caring? Does it come from, yeah, if you can use that word, love? So a lot of my clients, they confuse to be worried about somebody as to care about somebody. So what if you could care without being worried? 
and that becomes even more it's i mean it's in the i just sort of my my uh, <laughs> i got a ping from my system um in the context of child raising oh I mean, that's the beautiful <laughs> teaching <laughs> about this concept yeah, yeah. Mm. yes so if you are worried and i have a lot when it comes to especially the children so calm you first calm you down first and then maybe you're a good support it's so interesting i have um we had a uh, some friends over um a, a day back or so and they have two kids one of them is a little boy and he's very adventurous so he likes to go exploring mm-hmm. and so he um he disappeared he he left and disappeared and we were um six grown-ups kind of running around the entire block um looking for him and like you know really in that way looking for him and what we didn't know was that he was playing hide and seek and so he had gone and hid in the car um it was you know he just uh gone and hid in the car and to him it was just a game and when came back down the street and i saw him and he was sitting in between the front seats of the car i saw his face and he was so excited that he had been found and then the worry and the all of that of the parents um they they showed that to him um and i'm not making any judgment um and i'm also saying that there was another way there there was something else possible entirely in the response to that game that he was playing in his mind um yeah it felt it felt related but it it's so it's it's me telling myself how hard it is <laughs> again to to separate those two things and to have care and hold love and separate out my because the worry seems to be something that is me and then the care and the love is something that is it's also me but it's i'm trying to tease it apart how does it relate <laughs> it's that um, if we are too stressful in our system that then we shut down the frontal part of our brain the more developed brain that got shut off and that's where we have the ability to notice to be aware to have a broader or bigger or higher perspective of things that is not available when you are in stress so it's just the old brain operating and that brain is totally focused on whatever it sees as a threat or lack or stressful so you you don't have the capacity to to look broader to perceive it in the bigger picture that's why it's so essential that you calm yourself down first so you get access to your whole brain for example when when and i don't i don't in any regard uh, blame that those parents i have done the same mistakes uh, it's that i'll get so in a way so happy finding the child if you take that example but i forget to calm down that other system and i put all the worry into that child in a way to calm down my system so it becomes the child's responsibility to calm me down instead of me really expressing the joy the love for this um, child and for the play and after i really have given that love say something about do you know what when you disappear like that and we didn't know that you were playing this happening to me but i'm so happy that you are found and all well but next time maybe we shouldn't 
need to be six or eight adults out seeking for you, you know. But it's not easy But it, because it, you, you want to have that relief yourself. But you should do that work before you actually meet the child and not the child, your co-workers. I mean, or before you come home, how many hasn't had a stressful day and then you come home and something is wrong with how they put the shoes in the hall or something else and you get frustrated about that. And it has nothing to do with that, actually. It's something else that you need to take care of first. But when you come home, you feel safe. When you see the child, you see you feel safe. And then all that get unleashed in, in the sense of creating safety. But if you don't know that, you will act on the reactivity in your brain, in your body, instead of elevate yourself, as I said before, that we are more than just that. We have the capacity to do differently, but we don't have the capacity if the stress level is too, too high. And then we become it, as you said. We don't have that capacity to discern and, and to see more perspective. And we shouldn't if the tiger is there, you know. If the tiger is there, it should have all your attention. Or the threat is there. You shouldn't be thinking about other things at that time. So it's a very beautiful mechanism when it works, when it should work. But in our society, it has a tendency to be overreactive in situations that actually ain't life-threatening. But the system reacts as it was so stressful. What you invoked in me now was that there is also an invitation to just see it as energies. They are not... Like you said before, that the body gives you what you want, and so and then it's for you to interpret it. So that that strong emotion with the kid found, or or with the spoon that's in the wrong place, or it it's either an, uh, a wonderful act of release and self care, and you can channel that into love, or you can channel that into something else <laughs> entirely. I- Yes, because if, if, if you just felt it as energy when you were out looking for that child, then it might not have been actually worry that you perceived. It was a heightened state of being alert, of being aware, to use all the senses to actually seek for that child. But we know that we know stress just the alertness, the, the presence, and then it's a beautiful energy to be with. But if you think that that heightened state is equals being worried, then the mind creates beautiful loops <laughs> and beautiful scenarios that feeds that uh, sense of being worried instead of being heightened in your state. So you want to have that presence, you know, because it, it's it's response to activity to go out and search. It is. Um, <laughs> what came up to me was like, you think you just put a hole. I mean, the, um, these are the peak experiences that we are paying so much for and, and looking for. And then it's all about context. And I, I have this story that I've been telling a couple of people, but, but it's like the the idea of physical distress, like what that is. And then just that uh, perspectival shift of like, if you would, when you have been running like um, intervals up a steep hill, you know, if I would wake up in the middle of the night feeling like that in my body, I would call the doctor immediately. There would be a lot of fear response. But just because I'm, you know, I'm tasting blood and I'm, I want to throw up and like the heart is racing and all of that stuff. And I know what the reason is. I mean, it's a heightened state of, I can enjoy that um, pain and feeling and suffering in a sense. 
And what I caught from what you were just saying is that that's available to us in every, that arousal is maybe kind of the um, channeling of that old, if you will, but that, that part of the brain that was focused on hunting and survival and going. I mean, that's, might be the, that might even be the state that one taps into when you are fully tracking an animal or all those impossible things that you hear that other people can do that are trained in that modality. Um, maybe this is it. Yeah, because you want to have that system with you, you know, the, the, the activity phase. You need that as well. We, don't, we are designed to have, um, I don't want to call it stress because it, the name is so contaminated. Uh, the, or the word is so can, contaminated, but heightened, uh, uh, heightened activity levels. We want to have that, we want to use that, because there's a lot of potential and also intelligence in that. But we also want to use the other uh, state that is more of relaxing, safety, and so forth. So it's the ability to dance between those states and and to use the the amount of energy that is actually needed for the task or, or the challenge. I think that's a really nice point to start rounding off. I also just wanted to invite you to, is there anything that needs to be said right now like around this topic that we failed to capture or, or that I haven't brought in or that we haven't brought in? Well, we can be talking for hours. This is a topic that I really love to talk about. So, But uh, I would like to say that um, the body is so, so generous. So you can make as many mistakes, but it will be there again for you. And it's always in the present, and you can start now. And you can start with small steps. And it doesn't need to be perfect. And the body will forgive you again and again and again. So I met a lot of people that see the body as their enemy. Uh, and I understand that when the body is um, in a lot of distress. So I, I don't want to override that and it has to be taken care of before you can come to the next level but I just want to say it's not your enemy it it just wants to say something in a way that's the only way for it to tell you that so what if you could choose the interpretation of your enemy knowing that it can't be your enemy. It doesn't, it maybe doesn't do what you thought or what you thought you wanted, but it's there to really, really support you. Thank you. And if, the, if people want to reach out to you or find you online or work with you, how do they find you? They can't. Go to my website. I think that would be the easiest way to just find a little bit more about me. I also have contact details on the website. And that is my name, rosariorojas.se, as I live in Sweden, Stockholm. Beautiful. We'll put the link in the, in the episode as well so that people can find you. That could be great. Thank you. Mm. Yeah, thank you for offering up your time, gifting your time. Um, I'm really happy about this conversation. It was very useful to me. Uh, and uh, I'm also very excited about the uh, September event and to see what, what, what wants to emerge there. Um, so I'm really, really, really glad to have you uh, as one of the facilitators for the stories event. And we'll put the link to that as well, if you want to explore and come join us uh, in the episode text. 
Thank you so much for the invitation and thank you so much for giving the time to speak about what I really love. And I also want to say that in the workshops, it's really going to be a workshop where you actually got practical tools and keys to use in your daily life. So it not it doesn't just become an idea, it becomes an experience that you immediately can apply. Um, yeah. Thank you for bringing that in. And mm-hmm. thanks so much. So now go enjoy your vacation. <laughs> I will. Thank you for this beautiful break. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.